Well, if you have your Bible with you uh, this morning, please open up to the book of Acts, chapter 22. Acts chapter 22, we're uh, continuing on in our verse-by-verse journey through the book of Acts. We're heading towards the end of the book. 28 chapters in the book of Acts. And uh, as we've worked our way through the book of Acts, we've seen uh, that oftentimes that the narrative moves from one place to another, from one story uh, to a, a different story, from following uh, one group of people to following another group of people. Uh, But now here in Acts 22 onwards through to chapter 28, we're really following one continuous narrative uh, as we follow the Apostle Paul uh, from Jerusalem uh, all the way to Rome. Uh, And we've made it uh, halfway through uh, chapter uh, 22. We finished off in verse 21 of Acts chapter 22. Uh, last week. Uh, And at this point, Paul has uh, finished his three missionary journeys. Uh, His desire was to go to Rome, the very heart of the Roman Empire, uh, to to visit the church uh, there and to preach the gospel uh, there. But before he uh, embarked on this journey to Rome, he wanted to go to Jerusalem. Uh, The Feast of Pentecost was taking place Uh, There And he'd also uh, collected an offering for the Jerusalem church, which was struggling uh, financially. And he'd been around uh, the Gentile churches in Asia Minor and in Greece, collecting money uh, for them. And so he was taking that offering to Jerusalem. Uh, And when he arrived in Jerusalem on the feast day of Pentecost, Jerusalem was jam-packed with people, uh, people from all over the Roman Empire. There were some people who recognized Paul. Uh, They were people from the area of Asia, most likely the city of Ephesus. Uh, And they came against Paul publicly. And they made accusations against Paul. Hey, this Paul, he is against the Jewish people. This Paul, he is against the law of God. This Paul, he is against the temple of God. Uh, And these people incited the crowd there, these uh, devout Uh, religious Jews there on the feast day of Pentecost uh, and the crowd came against Paul and started to beat him physically and we are told that their intention was to kill him such was their anger and hatred toward him Uh, but there was a Roman uh, commander there in the city of Jerusalem and the job of Roman commanders uh, was to keep the peace uh, particularly at feast days and so the Roman commander looked down and saw all this commotion going on and thought, oh, there's a problem here. So he sends his soldiers down and his soldiers uh, rescue Paul from the mob and carrying him away up the steps uh, into the Roman garrison. Uh, And as Paul was walking up the steps, he looked down at the crowd that was below. They were all calling for his head, quite literally. Uh, And he asked the Roman commander if he could say a few words to the crowd. And he asked him in the Greek language, we are told, and that surprised the Roman commander because only educated uh, people in that area spoke the Greek language and he'd assumed he was some uh, uneducated ruffian, so to speak. But no, he actually spoke very well and so he gave Paul permission. Uh, And so Paul spoke to the people there in Jerusalem. And this was a very special thing for Paul to do because Paul for many, many years had desired to preach the gospel to the Jews in Jerusalem. 
Uh, we know from his letters that Paul had a very, very uh, uh, deep love for his Jewish brethren. And he had an extremely strong desire to see them come to know Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And so the opportunity comes. And what he does is he shares with them his personal testimony. The personal testimony of his conversion. Because of course Paul was formerly a devout Jew himself who persecuted Christians. He regarded Christians as some... A heretical sect of Judaism and they were all deserving of death and in fact he was on his way to Damascus to seek out the Jewish people who converted to Christianity and to arrest them and to bring them back to Jerusalem uh, to stand trial uh, and ultimately potentially be put to death and it was on his road uh, on the road to Damascus on his way there that the risen and ascended Christ appeared to him And Paul recounted his conversion as he saw the risen, ascended Christ. And he had no choice but to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ at that moment. And from that point on, his life changed. Dramatically. Uh, And of course, uh, a Damascus Road experience has found its way into our language, hasn't it? Because people often refer to life-changing experiences as a Damascus Road uh, experience and that of course uh, is following on from what happened to uh, the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul went on to share with uh, the Jewish crowd there in Jerusalem uh, about a time a few years after his conversion when he was praying in the temple in Jerusalem and he wanted to preach the gospel to the Jews in Jerusalem at that point but the Lord spoke to him and said no. Uh, And Paul didn't agree with the Lord. He decided to argue with the Lord. And by the way, if you ever find yourself arguing with the Lord, just know that you are wrong and the Lord is right. We often have a tendency to want to argue with the Lord. And Paul argued with the Lord and it was a good argument. To be fair, he said, Lord, don't you know what happened to me? I I was formerly a persecutor of Christians. uh, But now I am preaching the faith that I once tried to destroy. I mean... You know, if only I can just share my testimony with these Jewish people, then then they'll have to believe. And that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? You think, well, yeah, okay, we get that, Paul. But the Lord said, no. He said, the people aren't going to hear you. They aren't going to hear you. So I don't want you to preach the gospel here in Jerusalem to the Jews, but I am sending you to the Gentiles. You are going to preach the gospel uh, to the non-Jewish world. And that's, of course, exactly what the Apostle Paul did. And so in verse 22 of Acts chapter 22, we find out how this Jewish crowd responded to the Apostle Paul. Now, again, I just want to emphasize something I mentioned a few moments ago. Paul's heart was for his Jewish brethren. Deeply, passionately. He had desired for many, many years to have the opportunity to preach the gospel to the Jews in Jerusalem. And no doubt for many years he'd been convinced in his own heart, if only I got the chance to share my testimony with them. If only I had that opportunity, surely that they would believe. And here some 17 years later, Paul gets his opportunity. 
And I can just imagine the hope that he had in his heart. That when he got to share his testimony with these people. That they would come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. As the promised Messiah. As their personal saviour. And I can just imagine Paul having that in his heart and his desire. And I want you to keep that in mind as we read about the response of the crowd beginning in verse 22. So Acts chapter 22 beginning in verse 22. Says they listened to him until this word. That word by the way is the word Gentiles at the end of verse 21. And they listened to him until this word. And then they raised their voices and said. Away with such a fellow from the earth. For he is not fit to live. And then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air. The commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging. So that he might know why they shouted so against him. And as they bound him with thongs. Paul said to the centurion who stood by. Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? And when the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. And then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, Yes. The commander answered, With a large sum I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, But I was born a citizen. And then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. And the next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set them before them, set him before them. And then going into chapter 23, then Paul looked earnestly at the council and said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And we'll leave it there. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask now, as we have your word open before us, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would speak into each of our hearts. Father, we know that the natural man cannot understand spiritual things. But we thank you that you have given us your spirit. And so we ask, Lord, that by your spirit that you would open our eyes, open our spiritual eyes, that we may see truly the spiritual truth of your word. That we may be encouraged and strengthened, maybe even challenged and convicted. But Lord, that you would accomplish your work amongst us so that we might grow, more in the likeness of our Lord and Saviour. So Lord, I pray your blessing upon your word to each of our hearts this morning as we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so here's Paul. Preaching to the Jewish crowd. Sharing the testimony of all that the Lord had done in his life. About how he was now proclaiming the very faith that he 
previously sought to destroy. A remarkable transformation in his life, an undeniable transformation in his life. Paul had waited for many, many years for the opportunity to declare this publicly in Jerusalem. Now the opportunity had come. But the moment he told the crowd that God had called him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, everything went south. Because verse 22, they listened to him until that word. They were listening intently up until that point. But the moment he said the Gentiles was the moment they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Wow. These people really didn't like what Paul had just said. In fact, in verse 23, it says that They cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air. An expression of disgust and repulsion at what Paul had just said. Now you think, why on earth were they so strongly repulsed by what Paul had just said? Well... To the Jewish mind, back in those days, what Paul said was nothing short of blasphemy. To them, salvation was for the Jews only. The Gentiles, they were pagans, they were sinners, they were idolaters. In fact, there were some back in those days who believed that God created the Gentiles purely as firewood for the flames of hell. That's how strongly some of those people thought. And so the idea that God would call a Jew and send him to the Gentiles was just outrageous. Even offensive. Now if a Gentile wanted to be saved then they they could come and they could become a Jew and they could be circumcised and they could submit themselves under all the law of Moses and you know maybe we'll let them you know uh, do things but of course Gentiles weren't allowed in the, the main part of the temple there was a court of the Gentiles but a Gentile couldn't go any further there would always be that separation yes okay you can you know you you can come so far you can uh, come so far into the people of God but you know what you're still a Gentile you're not a Jew. And this kind of mentality developed um, out of something that God had previously said. Because there was some truth in the way these people were thinking. Because the Jewish people were indeed called out from the nations to be separate. The Gentiles were pagan, idol worshippers, and God separated a people for himself. And he told them to keep separate from the Gentiles, lest they fall away from him into pagan idolatry. 
But God called the Jewish people not because they were better than all the other nations. Simply because he loved them and had a purpose for them. Nor did that mean that God didn't care about the Gentiles. God loves the whole world. In fact, the purpose of God's calling the Jews was that through them, the truth may come to the whole world. That the truth may come to the Gentiles. Ultimately, through the coming of the Messiah. who was the promised seed of Abraham. That is traced all the way through the Old Testament. Through the history of the nation of Israel. Up until the coming of Christ. And there is still more to happen. Concerning the second coming of Christ in that regard. As Jesus will return and he will take his seat upon the throne of David. uh, In Jerusalem. And that is yet to come. But the point here. Is that. God had called the Jews to shine the light of the gospel to the world. Isaiah 49 verse 6, the Lord said just that. He said, I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. That salvation ultimately it comes through the Messiah, but the Jewish people were God's chosen people through which the Messiah would come and through which the promised blessings of salvation would come to the whole world. And so God had called the Jewish people to be a light to the Gentiles. So yes, they were to be separate, set apart for God, holy to the Lord, but so that they could shine brightly the light of salvation to the world. That was God's purpose. And I think today for us, we can sometimes fall into the same mentality of those Jewish people back in Paul's day. And we can look at people out there in the world and we can look, oh, they're doing this or they're doing that. And we can be repulsed at their sin and disgusted by the things that they do. As if somehow we are superior. As if somehow we've got it all down and they're just these, you know, pagan people who just, there's no hope for them. But God has called us to be a light to the world. Not to condemn the world or even to judge the world. Judgment is in the hands of God and one day God will indeed judge. But we are called to be lights to the world. Matthew 5.14, Jesus said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so just as the Jews were meant to be a light to the Gentiles, so too we are called to be lights to the world, bringing the truth of the gospel into dark places, into our workplace, into our schools, into 
our universities or wherever it may be. And so, here in the text, this Jewish mob, they were full of hatred for the Apostle Paul. They wanted him dead. Uh, And so, what happened? Verse 24, the commander then ordered Paul to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they so shouted against him. Now remember, Paul spoke to the Jewish crowd in the Hebrew language. The Roman commander didn't speak the Hebrew language, and so he didn't know what Paul was saying. All he heard was just words that he didn't understand. And what he saw was the crowd go wild and crazy uh, and uh, want to kill him. So the Roman commander is thinking, what on earth happened? Paul, what did you just say? What just happened? And so like any Roman would do, what you would do is if you've got somebody arrested and you wanted to uh, find out what was going on, you wanted them to confess to something, you would take them and you would scourge them. That is, you would flog them. And the Romans had these whips and they had this big sort of wooden handle and they had long straps of leather and they would uh, put in those straps of leather pieces of broken glass and sharp shards of bone. And so they would flog the bare skin of the back hard and rip out the flesh. Now, uh, the Jews also had the flogging as a form of punishment. Um, the Jews would uh, flog uh, somebody 40 times, um, the number of judgment, but they would uh, normally dock one lash uh, for mercy. So they would actually only flog you 39 times, so 40 minus one, because obviously that's so merciful, right? Uh, but the Romans, they, they didn't. They, the Romans didn't care. Mercy was not in sort of Rome's dictionary when it came to uh, punishment. And so they would just flog you until you said what they wanted you to say or you died. It's a pretty heavy stuff. Uh, and so they get Paul and they're ready uh, to flog him to find out what on earth he said um, Uh, There And so verse 25, as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? That's kind of one of those da-da-da moments. Because the answer, of course, was no. Uh, It wasn't lawful. Now, this was a new revelation here, because Paul is basically saying to them, hi, by the way, I am a Roman citizen. Something you forgot to clarify before you uh, embarked on uh, this course uh, of action. And it was not okay for a Roman citizen to be bound and flogged before being convicted of a crime. And so notice verse 26. When the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander saying, take care what you do for this man is a Roman. And so the commander came and said to Paul, tell me, are you a Roman? And Paul said, yes. And the commander answered and said, well, with a large sum, I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, but I was born a citizen. (laughs) Now, Roman citizenship was was a highly prized thing uh, back in the Roman Empire. Not everybody who was born in the Roman Empire was automatically a Roman citizen. A person either had to be born to a citizen, um, have parents that were citizens, Or you could earn citizenship by doing some sort of great feat of bravery on behalf of the emperor or on behalf of the empire. 
And then there were those officials that were a little bit corrupt who would allow you to bribe them for Roman citizenship. And uh, that happened more during some periods than others. Um, but it's interesting that the, that the commander said, I paid a lot of money for my citizenship. In other words, he wasn't born a citizen. He basically bribed somebody with a lot of money uh, for his citizenship. Uh, and Paul, of course, responds and says, well, actually, I, I was born a citizen. So Paul's parents were obviously uh, Roman uh, citizens. But that is significant because Roman citizenship carried a great many benefits. And those benefits included a right to a fair trial. A Roman citizen was not allowed to be bound or flogged before being put on trial, having a fair trial and being convicted of a crime. Uh, and if a Roman soldier bound or flogged a Roman citizen without following due process, they would be in big, big trouble. Uh, they would most likely lose their jobs, probably be put in prison, um, and in some cases would even be put to death. And so to, bound, to bind or to flog a Roman citizen without a fair trial and without a conviction was a serious no-no. A serious no-no. And that is exactly what uh, this man, this commander had done. Uh, he had bound him and he was about to flog him. But of course, uh, he stops uh, because in verse 29, uh, immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman because he had bound him. And so the commander just has a bit of a panic attack here. and thinking, oh no, oh dear, I've broken the law. I could be in trouble. I could lose my job. I could lose my citizenship. Um, and so he sort of releases him. But he still wants to know what is going on. And so, verse 30, the next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and he commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. And so the commander uh, releases Paul from his, uh, uh, from his um, bindings uh, and he uh, sends him for a, a sort of trial uh, before the, the ruling Jewish council. Now, in the area of Judea, the Romans allowed the Jews to deal with their own affairs. They had the freedom, and so the, the Sanhedrin uh, was the sort of the ruling Jewish council or the highest Jewish court, the Supreme Court, if you like, uh, in Israel. And so uh, the Roman commander arranges for um, you know the, a sitting of the court kind of informally, and then they all gather together um, to listen to the Apostle Paul. And so chapter 23, verse 1, uh, Paul then, sitting before uh, the council, the supreme court uh, of Judaism, as it were, looking earnestly at them, he said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Now, it's interesting, firstly, how Paul addressed the council. He addressed them men and brethren and that's interesting because that's norm not normally how you would address the supreme court of judaism just like if you went to court today you wouldn't address the judge uh hiya mate how you doing um you'd say your honor a term of respect 
Uh, and the, the appropriate term for Paul to use at this point would have been fathers, acknowledging their position. Um, but he doesn't. He says men and brethren. In other words, I'm not talking to you as my superiors. I'm actually talking to you as my equals. Uh, and so Paul did that because it is most likely that he used to sit on that very council. He was a Pharisee. He was one of them. And it's quite possible that there were people there who even knew Paul. And so he addresses them on a level footing. Brethren, he says. And his opening statement is quite remarkable. Because he said, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. In other words, everything that I have done, I have done with a clear conscience before God. Now, there's several things that are interesting about that statement. Firstly, um, as we'll see next week, this statement provokes the high priest to anger. And we'll see why uh, next time. But there's a dispute among commentators here as to whether Paul was talking about his life before his conversion or his life after his conversion. But notice what he says. He says, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Until this day. Now it seems to me Paul is talking about his whole life. And that's interesting because of course before Paul was converted he persecuted Christians. He was consenting to the death of Stephen. He was threatening Christians with murders. Now it doesn't get you know much worse than that. I mean that's pretty serious. But Paul elsewhere in his letters, he talks about the fact that he did that because he thought that that was what was pleasing to God. And Paul elsewhere testifies that he did that with a clear conscience. Now that is quite a scary thing. Because that tells us that it is quite possible to commit Grave sin against God and yet do so with a clear conscience. Now we need to understand this. Having a clear conscience doesn't make our actions right. It just means that we don't feel any guilt for what we are doing. And our consciences are something that are very, very important. But here's the thing. Our consciences need to be informed by biblical truth. The Bible commends having a good conscience before God. And first and foremost, we have a good conscience before God 
through faith in Jesus Christ. That the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And therefore, because our sins have been forgiven in and through Christ, we can stand before God with a good conscience, with a clear conscience. But then in our Christian lives, our consciences need to be cultivated and informed by the truth of the word of God. And only in as much as our consciences are informed by the truth of the word of God, can they accurately assess our actions. Now, of course, moving to a bigger picture thing, Um, there there are certain things I think that we all have a conscience about that God has naturally given us we all have a conscience about right and wrong we all have an awareness that there is a God Uh, and there are some general things that I think are true um, of everybody But we have to be careful because the Bible also says that it is possible to damage our conscience. That it is possible to have a weak conscience, a wounded conscience, a defiled conscience, even a seared conscience, which is probably the most serious of all. A person's conscience becomes seared when they harden themselves against the Lord and commit uh, sin to such a degree that they are incapable of determining what is right and what is wrong. And such a conscience that is not informed by the word of God will not and cannot accurately assess our actions. And a conscience that is defiled and a conscience that is seared is a very dangerous thing. So don't mistake a clear conscience or peace as we sometimes turn it as a justification by itself for our actions I've met many people uh, who have said I'm going to do this and what they want to do is contrary to the clear teaching of scripture but they say I've got a clear conscience about it I've got a peace well if your peace is not informed by the word of God it's a false peace it's not the peace of God And we need to be aware of that, that it is quite possible to have a clear conscience and that conscience be telling us something that is not true. And so as believers, that's why it's vitally important that we are renewing our minds day by day with the word of God, that we are feeding on the word of God so that our consciences are cultivated To know what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad, what is honouring to God and what is not honouring to God. It is absolutely vital so that our conscience may work together with the word of God and the ministry of the Spirit in our lives to, to guide us and help us as we move forward according to the will and purpose of God. Uh, and so, next week we will see Paul on trial before the Sanhedrin. And it's a remarkable chapter, and it's a chapter that really 
teaches a very important lesson about the providence of God. And so I'd encourage you ahead of next week, if you get some time this week, to, to read through chapter 23 and read ahead. Uh, and we'll cover uh, chapter 23 in our time together next week. So let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that your word is true. And that your word brings life. And we thank you that your word is sufficient to teach us what is right and what is wrong. And Father, we thank you this morning that we can stand before you with a good conscience. And that we can do so because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And Father, I know that life is difficult as a Christian when we are going against our conscience, when our conscience is informed by the truth of your word. And that's a difficult place to be. And so Lord, I would ask, Knowing that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, if there's anybody here this morning who needs a touch of your spirit to release them from the power of sin in their hearts and in their lives, that as they confess truly their sin before you this morning, that they would realize that power that they might be able to forsake their sin and walk forward with a clear conscience before you. And we thank you that that is possible for each and every one of us because the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. And so, Father, bless your word to our hearts, we pray. Strengthen us, encourage us as we leave this place. Help us to be those lights Bring in the light of the gospel uh, into the world around us this coming week. As we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.